Hey, Josh, you know what's cool about creator commerce these days? There are just so many ways for creators to make profits. Take, for example, digital products. Definitely. You can bring any idea to life with digital content and they're accessible to all fans globally. Creators are all over them this year. In fact, there's over 60,000 creators selling digital products on the Spring platform. Everyone here listening definitely needs to get in on it too. The beauty of this type of product is there is no shipping involved. It's so simple. Fans purchase the product, hit download in their inbox, and they get it instantly. I mean, it's pretty genius. Creators can literally make profits right up to Christmas Day. Forget rush shipping or delivery cutoff dates. It's great to see the variety of content that creators are bringing to the table, too. We've seen cheese-making courses, Christmas tree-shaped shelving guides, organic ferret-feeding ebooks. Yes, Lauren. Cable knit hat patterns, festive e-cards. It's crazy. You think I didn't know about the ferret-feeding book? Please. Creators do have the freedom to create and sell anything. Spring has put together a blog full of inspiration and free templates to get started. No design wizards required. Visit spring slash blog to learn more and to sign up. That's spri.ng slash blog. This week on Creator Upload, Discord's going to make the creator money printer go brrrr. Congressional hearings, Casey Neistat's film school, and Facebook's profiles might actually become usable. Welcome to Creator Upload, your creator economy podcast. I am Lauren Schnipper. And I'm Joshua Cohen. Lauren. Yes. There was a very interesting congressional hearing this week involving, do you know who? Adam Missouri. Close. FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried and a bunch of other cryptocurrency executives who were talking about (laughs) the efficacy of stable coins mostly in this environment. But I want to send you a picture. You tell me what it is. This is perhaps the most interesting part of the hearing. Okay. Okay. This is happening in real time, kids. I'm looking at the photo. Uh Uh-huh. What do you see? Okay. I see a, a man with a giant lot of hair next to a woman who I recognize, but I feel like I'm going to get called out because I don't remember who she is. <laughs> that is the chair of the House Financial Services Committee, Maxine Waters. Maxine Waters. Yes, of course. Yes, yes. She's a California. Yeah. Uh-huh. Next to her is the FTX CEO, Sam Bankman-Fried. Take a look at Sam's shoes. Take a look at Sam's shoes. You literally, like, you send me these things and you want me to say something. You either need to prep me or you just have to let me re- react. This kid is a 29-year-old multi-billionaire. People have put his net worth at somewhere between like 20 and $40 billion. And mm-hmm. he got dressed up possibly for the first time in 10 years to go to this congressional hearing. And he's wearing dress shoes, but the dress mm-hmm. shoes are still laced like they are when you receive them from the store. And his shirt has pleats in it like he just unwrapped it from the packaging. Sure. People on Twitter ate this up. This was actually the second most interesting thing that came out of the House Financial Services Committee hearing. Perhaps the most interesting thing was how not confrontational it was. I highly recommend anyone who's interested in learning about cryptocurrency or just wants to know like the current state of how Congress is thinking about it to go back and watch this. The Overton window is shifting, ladies and gentlemen. If you are a vehement anti-cryptocurrency zealot, you are outside of the norm right now. And oh it's gosh. gotten to a place where- Did you, you say know, vehement? Is it vehement? I think it's tomatoes, tomatoes. Okay, I did it. I did it for emphasis. <laughs> okay. it's, it's fascinating to see congressional people talk about this with some 
level of intellectual knowledge about it and talking about how they're going to perhaps seriously incorporate it into the current financial ecosystem. Definitely worth a watch. Yeah, well, uh, we're going to get to the Adam Asori testifying before Congress this week, too, because I think it's very relevant. But really quickly, before we do that, Josh, it's Streamies week, and I just want to, I don't want this episode to go by without discussing what, what's going on, what's happening with Streamies real quick before we get into the big stuff. Thank you. This Saturday, December 11th, 6 p.m. PT, 9 p.m. ET at YouTube.com slash streamies. Ray is the master of ceremonies. He'll be joined by Uh his good friend Issa. Lots of people who you know and love from YouTube will be there too. Any spoilers for our listeners? Any surprises you can share? Too many to even think about. Seriously, just watch the show. Tune in for a little bit. Tune in for all of it. I think I think you'll have a good time. By the way, you'll notice Josh is more relaxed this week than he was last week because he's like, it's like your job is kind of done. Now you just have to like watch and see if everything like goes well or not, right? Would you, would you argue that you're sort of like, you've done what you can do? You've made it the best you can? Yes, I do. <laughs> Like, what are you doing the day of besides just watching it, right? Because you're not operating like the live stream. What are you you doing? Um, I bought a six pack of CBD enhanced (laughs) beverages. And so I'll be downing those and Uh I'm just trying to stay relaxed until the stream comes on. And then, you know, we have a little production party where we all watch it together. All right. Well, tune in, everybody, this Saturday. All right, let's get to big stories. You know, I want to just jump right into, because you already brought up Congress, I want to jump into Instagram. Um, So Adam Asori, the head of Instagram, testified before Congress this week. But before he did, he made an announcement on his Instagram about some new parental controls and different updates that Instagram kind of made. And I mean, the timing is obviously very much on purpose. So the few things he mentioned were one, uh, something called Take a Break, which is launching in US, Canada, Australia, and it encourages you to step away and set notifications to take a break. I don't know how this is so different than, because I think I have a time limit thing I'll set on my Instagram too, but like it gives you an option anywhere from like three hours to 10 minutes, like basically like walk away, step away from Instagram. Then parental controls, he announced, it's not launching until March of next year, but basically it's going to allow parents to see how much time their kid spends. The parents can set the limits. There's going to be a new educational hub for parents and guardians because most of these, a lot of these parents are like, I don't even know how to use Instagram. So that's happening. And then the last thing he announced before testifying was... Um, this digital footprint on Instagram. So basically it's going to be the first time ever that you're going to be able to like bulk. It's not just going to be for kids, but they think it's really important for kids where you're going to be able to bulk delete like content. You're going to be able to see what you've liked and you can like erase that. So let's say you like, like somebody post from like a year ago and they're mean to you now or whatever happens, you can actually like delete that. So it's going to just be a much easier way ostensibly to manage your presence. So people, cause you know, people can see what you've done and it's been hard to sort of like have that in one location and really like get a sense of like, I don't know what I did on Instagram like a year ago. And now that supposedly that's going to be a thing. So I'll pause there. Any comments on the updates before we get into actually his uh, testimony? It's fascinating that that type of bulk curation functionality for my own personal profile on one of the biggest social networks on the planet is just starting to be a useful component for users. I don't think it's just starting to. It's wild that they're just doing it. I think that's more what you mean, right? Right, exactly. It's it's the fact that this hasn't existed before. It's just wild to me. And so, Lauren, did you watch his testimony? How was it? I did. I watched pretty much the bulk of it. First of all, he did this like Facebook thing that they that I totally learned when I was there where like every time somebody asked him a question, he would say, I appreciate the question, Senator. I appreciate the question. Like every single time. It's always like, it's the stalling tactic that I literally did media training. It's, it's smart where you literally are like, 
Thanks so much for the question. Appreciate that. Like every single time. Is it smart though? Like, like, isn't it, if it becomes a thing that people do, isn't it then not smart anymore and just kind of annoying? Well, it's not necessarily smart in the sense where people believe you, but I think what it also does is allow the person answering a beat to get their thoughts together. It just literally allows you to like reset and answer the question. I find it helpful from that point of view as well. And then, yeah, if you don't do it literally every single time, I think people generally think that they are appreciated. I've seen people's faces. He didn't say like great question or smart question. He didn't say that because I'll say that to people and like it likes to do that. He just says, I appreciate the question. (laughs) Are you giving away all your your best practices for dealing with others in the workplace right now? (laughs) I am. I'm giving away right now. It's true. If Lauren told you, you've asked a great question or intelligent question. Uh It's her stalling tactic to get her thoughts together. Yep. Ingenious. So, I mean, here's the thing. He's way better at this than, let's say, Zuck, right? Like, he's much more personable. He's much more humble. Here, here's what I think is the problem right now. It's like, first of all, if you hear these senators say one more time, well, this is why we're going to regulate, and this is why we're going to do X, Y, and Z, then do it already. Like, they have been having hearing after hearing for these social media companies, and they've literally done nothing because of the bureaucracy. And it's like, really, at this point, I think, as a, as a viewer, I'm just like, what are they waiting for? And, you know, Missouri is like, we have been because they would constantly ask some questions around like, do you agree that we should do this? Do you agree we should? And he's like, yes, I agree. A regulatory body should be made up. Now, what he was saying was he wants one from, from the government. And then also he thinks there should be an industry one, like all of the social media platforms to sort of come together and do it. And then like some of the senators were like, well, we don't trust you guys to do it. And then I wanted him to be like, well, then you guys get your shit together and do it. Like, it's ridiculous. Like they're not doing it. So there's that. Um, And he said, you know, we've been calling for regulation for three years. And so he pushed back a lot when they were telling them that like Facebook was addictive or Instagram was addictive. He was pushing back a lot. He was saying, you know, 11 out of the 12 issues that teens go through, Instagram helps, whatever. Um, You know, he would would say things like, respectfully, Senator, I don't think the research shows that our products are addictive. Research shows that 11 out of 12 issues teens face Instagram help. So he did push back a lot on these things. And I feel like where the senators kind of get it wrong is they're all obsessed with asking him if Instagram for kids is going to still happen. And he's like, no, I'm the head of Instagram. Like I put a pause on it. I've just come to the conclusion. I think they're so misguided with pushing that Instagram for kids is is bad. You and I have discussed on this podcast that like YouTube for kids is a much better experience for kids than regular YouTube. I finally am all in on YouTube kids because I was just lazy and not doing it and watching Coco Melon on my regular YouTube. And it's so much better. It's curated. There's no ads. I'm not concerned in any way, shape or form that there's going to be like some shady content. And I think, you know, what he kept saying is like, we're never going to stop committing making Instagram a safer place for kids. Right now that work is paused. And I just don't, I think I think it's just really, really misguided for them to sort of be pushing against that, whereas it's like they should be working with him to help in the platforms to help make this more safe. Another thing that was very interesting was that he touted a, a recent survey, don't ask me what it was, that um, teens are actually using TikTok and YouTube more than Instagram. And I'm like, that's going to be the only time that they're going to sell that as like <laughs> a good thing. I thought that was like amazing. One of the things that I thought was an interesting to somebody, I can't remember who brought it up, they said, I guess he interviewed Joe Joe Siwa, of course, you know, huge star with kids. And she made some comment. It was an Instagram live. And it's like, she's been on Instagram since she's eight years old. And Missouri's response was like, oh, like, I don't want to know. Like, don't tell me. It was like this joke. And the senator's like, why did you say that? Like, you're basically, that is your attitude that you don't want to know kids. And he was like, that was a missed opportunity. That was a learning moment that I failed to do. Like, it was like, they were like nitpicking everything. Klobuchar said that Instagram spent $390 on marketing for kids since last year, which was up from like $60 why didn't you spend that money to develop tech to keep kids safe? And of course, he came back like, yes, we ramped up our marketing, but it wasn't all focused at kids and this and that. 
And at one point, Klobuchar said something to them. Um, she quoted somebody at Instagram saying that like losing kids is an existential threat to um, Instagram. Did somebody say that? Did somebody actually say that at Instagram? And she goes, and you better tell the truth. You're under oath. <laughs> it was really, Klobuchar, don't play. So that's the high and low. He he, he did reveal that um, I think they're going to allow for an um, chronological option for Instagram again so that people aren't just served algorithm-based um, content. And when they talk about Instagram being dangerous for children, let's just understand what they're mostly concerned about here, right? Are they talking about Instagram being dangerous for children because there's potential predators on the platform that can contact children via Instagram? Or are they talking about like people getting a dystopic sense of their own self-image because they're looking at curated photos of supermodels all day long? But so they one senator brought up a couple of them said that they created like their own Instagrams like the day before and said that they were 15 and those are supposed to default to private. And one was like, it didn't default to private. Apparently, Missouri was like, yeah, I just heard about that. It does default to private on iOS and Android, but I guess he could, he did it on um, the, the web and it hadn't and they hadn't made that update. So he did. He wasn't aware of that. So that was that was the answer to that. Um, but then uh, it was like another one made a profile said that they were 13 years old and within a few clicks they were being fed you know um weight loss content and all that sort of stuff that they said that they were not going to so, so there's a there's a piece of that there's the body dysmorphia all that sort of suicide stuff with the teens and then like the sex trafficking and drug drug trafficking and you know at one point somebody said can you provide a list of all the people that have been indicted for human or drug trafficking that have used Instagram in the last year and he was basically like I'll get back to you um like he doesn't obviously have that list right there. So I would say it's both. And like many of them spoke about their constituents calling and being like, I don't understand these platforms. I, my kid is addictive. Like, what are you going to do about this? And like, generally speaking, they just like hate these platforms, these senators, because of their making these, these, these are addictive to kids and it's not a good use of their time. And like at one point somebody was grilling him about like, do you think three hours is a good amount of time to spend on Instagram? Because one of the options for your take a break thing is a three hours on Instagram a day. And his answer to that is like, we believe that parents should be in charge. We believe they should make set the limits. Who am I to say how long? So we give them everything from like 10 minutes is too long to three hours is too long. And there's a little bit of like, he can't win. Got a, somebody like an Adam, you know, Missouri is the head of Instagram. That's like, we want to give parents the option to make their choices for their kids. And you've got like conflicting sort of feedback, which is like, you're making this terrible. You have to decide, but also like, don't censor our kids and don't censor yeah, our voices. And like, don't do it. And it's like, they can't win. And I think what the mistake is, is like, this sort of genuinely, I think the only answer that would have made everybody happy is like, we're going to shut down Instagram and it's all done. Which isn't necessarily a bad option. I'm not even saying it is, but it's not going to happen. And so like, okay, without that as an option, what he's saying, and this is going back to Instagram kids, is like eight-year-olds, 10-year-olds are on the platform. We know they are. They want to be on. The average kid gets a phone at 10 or 11 years old, he was saying. So how can they make an experience on Instagram knowing they're going to try to be on it that is much safer, that has much more parental involvement because we know this is going to happen. And so I just feel like they sort of say in the end, like we should work together, but they need to really just get on board that we are here where we are and like work with them. I don't buy this that 11 of the 12 most prominent issues that teens face today are kind of resolved or the level of distress that teens feel by those issues is positively impacted by finding communities or other people on Instagram that look, feel, talk, or act like you. Instagram has just become too much of this curated lens through which people display themselves to the outside world where I just don't buy that that's actually legit, where the vast majority of people are finding a sense of community here. Yeah, someone, it's just, it's just, 
skewed whatever data they want to. Yeah, but the algorithms are just too powerful. And I think there is an amount of parental control that needs to be levied on these platforms. And you need to be responsible for your children and the types of media and the different platforms on which that they're consuming that media. But the platforms need to have some responsibility here. They do. They do. And I don't know. I feel, I mean, I, I feel genuinely that it's a little bit of a lose-lose situation for him. And I do think, you know, and he said like, because they were talking about algorithms a lot. And he said, I don't think you'll find an executive that's been more forthcoming with algorithms than, than I have. And honestly, I think it's true. I mean, they did a whole huge blog post on that, like how algorithms work, you know, a couple months ago. It was really long and it was kind of complicated, but as are algorithms. And it's like, again, hilarious that he was touting that teens spend more time on TikTok and, and YouTube, but it's true. They all, it's like, I don't do it. What is fair? I, I don't care if anything's fair, but I just don't think it's necessarily just sole responsibility of Instagram to figure this out. I think that they need to have, and I just don't think that these senators, A, have done anything yet. If, again, one more person says we need regulation, well, then do it already. And and I just think that they're, they're, just, they're just kind of misguided. And it's unfortunate because government is so slow, technology is so fast. So by the time they like figure something out, it's going to be probably outdated. And so it's, it's, it's a tough situation. You know, I think this is heralding, though, is that more CEOs or heads of companies or products that are under the banner of bigger multi-conglomerates are going to be testifying ahead of Congress. Specifically, I wouldn't be surprised if next time there's some outrage around YouTube, Susan Wojcicki's called to Congress instead of Sundar to answer questions about what's going on with that platform. I know. I mean, it's like the end of the day, one of the points that resonated with me the most was when Klobuchar was like, if you're spending $390 million on marketing, then you have enough money to spend figuring out these issues. And the the, the truth is that's 100% true. Yeah, that's and a good do. point. They do. And like he was saying, we're spending more than anybody. We have 50,000 people doing this and that, but it's not enough. And they haven't figured it out. There's no excuse that he did not know that if you create a profile on web and you say you're 13, that it does not default to private. There's literally no excuse for that. And I think that certain little things like that, those are the parts where I'm like, Instagram, get your shit together. Like, this is ridiculous. But uh, moving on really quickly, uh, I want to talk about Facebook did uh, a major update, like literally today, they're introducing a professional mode for profiles. And there's, you might might imagine why I think this is interesting, but basically from their blog post, we want creators to reach their full potential on Facebook. And that means giving you ways to earn money and providing insights so you can now understand what types of posts resonate with your community. Until now, these tools were only available to pages. And that paraphrasing, they know that a lot of creators are are just starting out just on profiles. Um, So with professional mode, eligible creators will be able to unlock revenue opportunities to gain access to tools and help grow their audience. They're going to start with a Reels bonus program. Professional mode opens up access to post audience profile insights similar to what you can find on pages today. You can see the total number of shares, reactions, comments, etc. Lastly, once you turn on professional mode for a profile, anyone can follow you and see your public content in their feed, but you'll still be able to control who sees what your content you share. That means you can share public updates or decide to share content with just your friends. So Lauren, to be clear, this is like if an individual random whoever has their mm-hmm. own Facebook profile, they can mm-hmm. now access certain features that were only available Correct. to pages from before. Correct. And this is why it's so crazy. So pages were created for businesses, like, right? Like if Tide was going to go on Facebook, they didn't, they weren't going to create a profile. They were going to create a page. That was the initial like purpose of pages. 
the limitations of profiles were you could only have 5,000 friends max. You didn't have a lot of the insights and, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, that pages had. So slowly people that got famous on Facebook started creating pages. You always had to have a profile attached to a page. Now this became an issue. I specifically remember onboarding Jacob Satorius to Facebook. He did not have a Facebook profile. So I literally had to do it through his mother's profile because you could only get a page and a page had all these extra things that a person who's famous would want if it was attached to a profile, which was that in itself, that sort of infrastructure was like really shitty. And like, so then, but then you'd have a lot of people, this was like a huge issue when I was there where you'd have a lot of people who started a profile and then they got big enough and they wanted all of a sudden the page stuff. So how do you migrate like a profile effectively to a page? And there was this terrible tool that was built for some other purpose that was very buggy profiled a page migration tool or something like that, that kind of worked when I first started. And literally for the four years I was there, I was like, this tool needs to be fixed. Like I gave so many examples of people that would need this functionality because you don't start on Facebook necessarily being like, oh, I'm going to be famous. I'm going to start a page. Like if you're just starting out, like it's so rare that that happens. It usually happens the opposite way. And you're like, I don't want to lose all these people that are following me. I'm, and you, you're a comedian, right? You go to shows, somebody like at the t- like, oh, I'll add you on Facebook. I'll add you on Facebook. All of a sudden you're like, I have 5,000 friends. I don't know any of these people. I want my personal Facebook experience. Can I migrate all these people to my page? No. It like basically didn't work forever and ever. So like cut to what are we like nine years later, they've now created a version of of a profile that effectively gives you a lot of the functionality of a page. This is literally something I was asking for in 2014. Again, it's insane how long it takes these huge, I mean, I guess it's not that insane, but kind of insane how long it takes these huge monolithic organizations to implement something that seemingly is so innate. Until it gets priority internally, until you have somebody at a very high level saying, this is the most important thing we're working on, you're not going to get support around it. You're not going to get it. Why? Because people are going to work on the things that help them get their bonuses and help them get higher up in the organization. So you're not going to take on some rogue project just because like some random person like me is on the entertainment team being like, no, you don't understand. I've got like a million creators who aren't going to use this platform because this doesn't exist. And they're just like, they're not going to care. Now they care. Nuts. It's crazy. Literally. What, what year is it? 2014. I started asking for this. 2014. Here we are. Uh, moving on. Discord is ramping up monetization for creators with monthly memberships. Josh, tell us about this. Lauren, I'm super bullish on this. Basically, Discord creators now or server owners are able to have premium memberships and subscriptions for different channels and different roles associated with those channels in their Discord server. Basically, they can get paid now for people having certain access to different Mm -hmm. things in their Discord. Yeah. Now, to be clear, this isn't necessarily new. There have been ways to incorporate paying subscribers from other platforms into special channels on your Discord server. Wasn't it third parties, though? Yeah, there was a third party plugin with Patreon. There actually are innate plugins with YouTube and Twitch. So if you're a subscriber on Twitch or YouTube to a certain creator, you can get access to certain channels on their Discord. But now it's totally native within the Discord app. I had a tour of it. It's great. Basically, you can charge users anywhere from $2.99 to $99.99 per month for a variety of different roles, whatever type of access you want to give them. And that's all in the app. Discord is taking only 10% of that revenue, so 90% to the creator. That beats Twitch, which basically splits subscription revenue 50-50 with creators, and YouTube, which takes around 30% of subscription revenue. Patreon takes anywhere from like 5 to 12%, depending on what tier you're on. But I expect this to make a lot 
of money for Discord creators. Yeah. And Discord, in my conversation with them, they have an interesting take on what creators are for them. It's basically anyone that organizes and creates content for a community. Mm -hmm. Samit Vadia, director of engineering at Discord, we want to make sure that creators are able to make as much money as possible while also making sure that if creators are successful, Discord is also making some money, which makes sure Discord is successful too. This was the most favorable split we could think of to make sure both parties are invested in the long run. I love that he's sort of like, we all got to win here, yo. If you want this to be a good platform, we got to make money too. That's totally true. I dig that. And if you're not in Discord, you don't know this. It takes a lot to make a really well-functioning Discord server and get community involvement and facilitate that community involvement. It's not a maybe I'll check in here every couple of days kind of thing and see how's right. it going. It's almost 24-hour community engagement you have to do. So giving creators the native way to make some money from that and to facilitate that, they need that in order to grow and survive. Well, it's not like exactly the same, but not totally dissimilar to like really active Facebook groups. You know what I mean? Like it's like I'm on these like mom groups and like it is a lot to moderate these. I mean, there's some crazy ladies and gentlemen out there. Um, and just, you know, maintaining that and understanding that. And some of them, like, some of them do require, like, I was in this this one for, like, kids that want to babysit um, from a college. And in order to join it, I think I pay, like, $15 a year or something like that in order to just get access to the group. And it's like, there should be more on-platform options like that for people that run groups on, on Facebook. And I think, I would, I would imagine that's going to be ramped up uh, in a reaction to this, by the way. Totally. Facebook has been an interesting place for groups to survive for a while. I feel like yeah. a lot of that is going to go over the Discord, especially just, I think it's a generational shift type thing. As more yeah. people start creating more groups, the default place where they're going to do that is now going to be Discord instead of Facebook. Josh, uploads, downloads for you this week. Casey Neistat comes out of semi-retirement, I guess, to release a video saying that he's released a film school with Monthly. Monthly is one of these different learning platforms. Mark Rober's previously done an engineering class with Monthly. Now Casey Neistat is going to do this filmmaking class. And he had this hype video for it where he partly talked to NYU students that were filming on the streets of New York and told them about his film school and then compared the price of his film school to the price of NYU's film school. And let's just say there's same, a same, dramatic same. difference there. <laughs> same, same, same. <laughs> Uh, love it, love it. Um, okay, uh, upload for me is Cameo has come out with their 2021 most booked Cameo creators. I don't know why I'm like obsessed with this because I just think it's kind of amazing. For the second year in a row, Brian Baumgarter, who was um, on The Office, was the most booked uh, creator on the platform. And I just kind of love it. Just what I love about this is it just shows what people really want. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, if I'm willing to pay, Brian Baumgartner money to do this, like, and all these people are like, that's what people want. So you've got he, you've got Sony Morgan from The Real Housewives of New York. Todrick Hall was third place, which is amazing. Anyway, really funny, really exciting. Um, I love the cameo still like, just, I don't know, people are into it. Let me tell you, The Office has near universal cross-generational appeal. It's yeah. wild. And that dude's just hilarious. I mean, everybody should be paying more attention to that, you know, because it's like, that's really what people want. If you're those, those are the people that are getting paid the most on, on Cameo. It's just such direct, uh, important data. I have a buddy who sells online office-related cannabis products under the banner of Dunder Splifflin. Makes a killing, makes a killing. Uh, all right, Josh, I think we did it. Lauren, I think that's it. I'll see you, uh, 
giving some money over to Kevin Malone for a shout out for your niece's birthday sometime soon? On the Streamy's red carpet this Saturday, December 11th. Thanks for the plug. At 6 p.m. PT, 9 p.m. ET, I'll see you then and there or next week on Creator Upload. Today's show was produced by Lauren Schnipper and me, Joshua Cohen. It's edited by Jason Kang, and original music is by London Bridge, who you can and should check out on Instagram at London Bridge Music. Just don't spend more than three hours there. Make sure you subscribe to Creator Upload wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're there, give us a rating, leave us a comment. If you want to get in touch with us, hit us up at info at creatorupload.com. If you like our show, please recommend it to a friend. If you love it, recommend it to everybody. Thank you for listening to Creator Upload, and we'll be back next week.